Welcome to Prairie Doc Radio, everyone. We are happy that you're here listening with us today. Uh, we hope that you will call us in with questions at 692-1430. Uh, we'll, we'll be able to address basically any question you'd like to send in, um, or at least we'll give it an attempt. So call us with questions. Um, good morning, and, Rick. Why yep. don't you... And when we've got Jill here, and we've got a pediatric nurse practitioner as well, you know, Jill the family physician whose scope of knowledge is broad, 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 broad. Uh, we, we really need your questions. See if you can uh, um, challenge us, challenge us a little bit here. Bring us to a, a we don't know uh, if you can. Oh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we are both out of the clinic, but of course Dr. Cruz is there. So what is the flavor of the day? What are you seeing a lot of? Oh, lots of coughs and colds and runny noses, sore throats. Um, there's a lot of influenza still going around. So, you know, don't, uh, if you haven't gotten your flu shot yet, get it because it is definitely here and it's made in its appearance earlier than it has in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So it's really starting to hit earlier than usual. I think last couple of years have been like February when it would really start to hit, but it's, it's flu now. is hit in December already. So right. it's so going to be a long season. Shot, Wash hands. Shot, mm -hmm. And if you have symptoms, stay home. Stay home. Yeah. Let's not spread it to others because, you know, some people are not able to get a flu vaccine. We are in hope that if you've had the flu vaccine, that the symptoms will be a little softer, a little gentler. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can still get it, of course. But you are—you do have a lot of protection if you get the flu shot. So, that's mm -hmm. the big thing. But but stay home and wash hands as well. Yes, and and don't kiss babies, right? Because you can have symptoms, especially for RSV. Um, for about, you can be shedding the virus and passing it to other people about two days before you have symptoms. So just because you feel fine doesn't mean you're not contagious. There was a segment this morning on the <coughs> national news about RSV. Um, why don't you? tell people a little bit about it because that some people are not aware of what that is. So RSV stands for respiratory syncytial virus and it's a virus so that means we really don't have any good way to fight it. Uh, we do what's called supportive care so we give if you have problems all we can really do for you is give you fluids, give you oxygen, give you some breathing treatments but there's no antibiotics that we can give for it because it's a virus and the younger you are the harder it hits your system. It affects breathing so if uh, infants and young children especially really tend to be hit hard and end up being the ones in the hospital just really struggling to breathe and it's it's heartbreaking to watch these little kids just gasping for breath and using every muscle in their body trying to breathe and we worry about them getting to the point that they're too tired to breathe and then we have to breathe for them and that's always uh, really scary for uh, parents and uh, families to watch but when adults get it it's just kind of a cold kind of the sniffles it's not a big deal to an adult but to an infant or a young child it's very very serious and like I said this one you can be spreading it for you know one or two days before you have any symptoms so that risk is you know when you're you know kissing and loving on those new babies that you can possibly be giving this and have them end up in the ICU. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, everybody, 
eventually he basically gets, gets RSV. Yes. So if a child, particularly in that one to two, when they're a little older, a little more mature, if they have cold symptoms, runny nose, do they need to come in with worry of RSV or is it uh, when they have a change in their symptoms? I always say, trust your mother's instinct. If, there's, if you're worried about your child, that's a good enough reason to bring them in to see me. Uh, if they're working hard to breathe, if you see their nose flaring, if you see their ribs sucking in and out when they're breathing, if you see their tummy going up and down when they breathe, it seems like they're working hard to breathe, bring them in immediately. Do not wait and, and say, well, maybe it'll be okay. So if I always tell parents, you trust your gut instinct. If there is a problem, you get in. Right, I, and the rapid respirations are the, are something mm-hmm. that you will see. Now, granted, uh, respirations will increase when children have a fever or when anybody has a fever, but particularly if the if they're not having a high fever and yet they are um, breathing very rapidly, that is a sign, sign. that they yep. need to. Ra- rapid breathing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I remember, though, when I was just beginning, 82, 83, uh, in Brookings, and I was doing the emer- emergency room, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't. I mean, I'm a adult doctor, but kids would come in mm-hmm. every once in a while. It would be a really sick kid, and I'd call in Walt Pat, the pediatrician that we had at the time. Do you remember? You didn't no, know him. Never met him. <coughs> so Doctor Pat would look at the kid, and almost. I mean, he was one of those. Ah, they'll make it. They'll be fine. And <laughs> here is his child's lungs kind of collapsing to the back of the, uh, the the baby's back. I mean, you know, really pretty sick. And he came in and said, ah, there's nothing we can do. Cold air, you know, cool air and let that be, let that be it. And so um, I'll just never forget how it changed. Mm-hmm. You know, as new doctors came in, these people, uh, these little kids got hospitalized. Yes. And I, I don't blame them. I mean, you know, you, it, when you're, yeah. you, because sometimes you do need to breathe for them. Mm-hmm. And well, with RSV, it tends to get worse at night. You know, I mean, that typical, they're fine during the day, and then two in the morning, they crash, and, yeah. and they're horrible. And and that cool night air, that he's right, that's exactly what does help it. So by the time you bundle them up, you get them to the car, you park at the hospital, you walk from the parking lot into the hospital, they're doing a little bit better, and, and, and you, go, you feel oh silly. As a parent, but you did the exact right thing. So, And that is especially true with croup as well, mm-hmm. which is a little different than RSV. Um, and another key, and I think we, we've said this um, with this RSV discussion, but when that fluid intake drops, when babies have trouble coordinating their breathing and their sucking, mm-hmm. we are starting to get into trouble. And right, really when they're not able to hair. eat, mm-hmm. there's a bad sign. Yep. yep, especially when their little noses are so stuffed. It doesn't take <laughs> much to stuff up that nose, and if you can't breathe, it's really hard to drink and swallow explain obligate um uh mouth mouth breathing so yeah so infants uh breathe through their mouth they are not nose breathers so they have a hard time so if they can't get air in you know through clear passages they're gonna have a hard time well and if their airway is their mouth Mm -hmm. and they start sucking on a a bottle they can't can't breathe breathe. yeah you're holding your breath so they can't eat because they can't breathe Mm mm-hmm that's pretty sick. Yeah, it is sick. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, we should take our first break, and thank you. We do have some calls that have come in. We would welcome more calls at 692-1430. We love those calls. Thank you. And we'll take our first break. Thank you. 
By living a healthy lifestyle, you can lower your risk for heart disease and heart attack. A healthy lifestyle includes the following, eating a healthy diet, maintaining a healthy weight, getting enough physical activity, not smoking or using other forms of tobacco, and limiting alcohol use. All the providers at the Avera Medical Group Brookings hope you will follow these guidelines. For more information on a healthy heart, speak with your provider at 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. Thank you for joining us today. Ask, uh, ask that last question you just heard. Oh, um, Bob, ask, is, is whooping cough still a, a thing? And, uh, well, Dr. Holm is here and Dr. Jill Cruz is here. I, I would hand it over to Jill. It, it's still a thing. Um, it's There's vaccine against it. Uh, it's in your... A tetanus vaccine. There's that one with the pertussis or whooping cough booster in it that we're giving to try to help decrease that. But uh, unfortunately, with the rise of people not vaccinating their children, we have seen a resurgence of whooping do you, cough. Do you think that that's really happening? I mean, that there has been a de- significant drop in vaccinations of children? I do. Um, actually, when I was in uh, medical school, I did a rotation at the Iowa Department of Public Health with their state epidemiologist, and we dealt with Iowa's first whooping cough epidemic back in the early 2000s. And one started with a classroom of first graders where a child had not been vaccinated and her entire class had some ex- had su- had exposure and several had to be treated even if they had the 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 whooping they had had the vaccine vaccination because it, it wears off in about five years after you get it so that's why we're doing the booster in sixth grade now so oh. All right. Well, let's get to the questions that have been called in. First one is a 69-year-old woman who has had a cough and cold for two weeks. She went in to see her doctor. How many many weeks? Two. Two. They didn't hear anything in her lungs, but she herself hears a a definitive rattle. So her question is, could the pneumonia come later? And what is that rattle that she's hearing? Uh, So I'll take this one as an adult. First adult question of the day, I should add. Uh, I generally think two or three and even sometimes four weeks it takes for a viral respiratory infection to run its course. Um, uh, I'm Mr. Anti-Antibiotic. I mean, I I don't like antibiotics as a, uh, you know, usually we want to save them for the times when someone's desperately ill. And uh, when they're only mildly ill and it's self-limited, you want to hold back on the antibiotics so it'll work when you need it. So um, how does she know when this it has it is pneumonia or could yeah, it when, change into when pneumonia? Do you, when do you know that you need to have more attention? A chest x-ray is what it is. And the answer is, uh, it's a difficult question. I mean, it really is. Uh, wheezes and uh, and uh, uh, junk in the lungs is not as is not an uncommon thing that happens to people with mild respiratory viral infections. So it doesn't fever. prove pneumonia. I, fever is probably uh, the biggest thing. So if if you look at the history of pneumonia or of uh, 
of a viral respiratory infection that turns into pneumonia, there is the first day or two a viral infection, they have a fever, 101, you know, not a huge one, but I mean, a, uh, they have a, a, a viral uh, fever. And uh, if you get a white count, it's going to be low. And <clears throat> if you get a chest x-ray, it's clear. And uh, uh, the first initial malaise, ache all over, feel like crap, terrible uh, feeling. And then uh, a cough comes on. And then you have a cough that is a dry, hacky cough that lasts two to four weeks. Uh, and it now if it turns into pneumonia, a second fever is what is worrisome to me. I always look at uh, three, four, five days after the first uh, uh, beginning. So a second fever is more concerning than any uh, lung sounds. Okay, I want to just be cautious in our language. The virus doesn't turn into pneumonia per se. No, it, it, in, it, it leaves your lungs susceptible to an entrance of a bacterial infection, which okay. is harder to get started. Our body defends itself better than against viruses. So, so it's so not everyone in this most of the time when we have a virus, it's going to go away. Someone who is susceptible, who um, for whatever reason they get a bacterial infection, and we call it a secondary infection. That's when we see those changes, the fever. Uh, the Nicely put, exactly the point. It 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 sneaks in afterwards, and so and they can, that can be devastating. Kill somebody. So the second part of this question is is that rattle that the the patient hears, Doctor Cruz. What what's going on there? Well, a lot of times that's uh, kind of from mucus that's just kind of rattling around in the lung tubes, the bronchus and uh, bronchial tubes, or kind of you know, even in nasal passages, you can get a lot of rattling um, where you'll hear these sounds. So, you know, if you cough and it seems like it gets better, that's usually meaning that you've got stuff rattling there. It's not in the lung tissue itself, which would be, you know, perhaps why you couldn't hear anything when they're listening to lung sounds, because it's it's not in the lungs. It's, it's in the upper airways. The upper airways. Yeah, so I think that's the big difference, and I, I don't know that we teach well enough that when we listen and we say, wow, it sounds clear, we're talking about the lung field, and mm -hmm. that person is, is definitely hearing the rattle, and that's the big main bronchus that's great. Right. So, so there is a difference, and, and we can, we as general population can clear that usually when it's in the main airways. Just but a naturally. lot of people have a low grade asthma or, or mm -hmm. bronchitis kind of a thing mm -hmm. and it may give you sounds and sounds are one clue not the total clue and doesn't and sometimes aren't present when there is pneumonia mm -hmm. and are present when there isn't pneumonia so you've got to realize that it's the total picture and I, th I think the most important thing is to use your common sense are you getting sicker every day get in and be be seen. Mm -hmm. I think chills, sweats, fevers uh, are the biggest clue. Yeah. And usually with viral things, symptoms will progress and worsen until about day three, four, and they'll kind of peak about day four, and then they'll kind of tail off from there. So, you know, I have people say, oh, usually they'll come in, and how long has this been going on? Three to four days. Because yeah. usually I'm like, well, congratulations, this is probably about as bad as it's going to get. And yeah, if it gets worse, get then I need to know. Yeah. But 
usually day four is when they've had enough. They're like, it, it just keeps getting worse. I can't deal with this. What do I do? And it, it's very frustrating to say, I'm sorry, this is the peak, but it needs to run its course. Right. Let's talk about strep throat for just a minute. A lot of kids will come in and adults as well with a very, very sore throat. And <clears throat> do you know that if you cultured 100 people off the street or that are perfectly well, 20% will have strep on the po positive culture? They are just living with it. It's, it's living symbiotically. You can't really get rid of it It's uh, as a rule. Uh, it's really hard to get rid of it. And why would you get rid of it if it's not giving you symptoms? Well, but, but wait, I'm going to stop you there. Why did they come in and just get this random strep test? No, no that was a study. It would be a study. It okay. was a study. But mm -hmm. when people come in, they have symptoms. All right, so mm -hmm. let me just say, let me finish my point. Uh, so if you leave it alone, let's put it this way. Let's say you come in with a, a raging strep throat. It's a self-limited disease. The strep will uh, it'll limit itself. The throat will get better with no antibiotics. If you give them an antibiotic, it'll get better. If you don't give them an antibiotic, it'll get better. And I'm going to bring you my story. I came in about 15 years ago uh, with a sore throat that didn't go away after six, seven, eight days, and it was getting worse. And I went to the ears, nose, and throat guy. I figured there all that garbage about whether it, that I just told you, you know, yes, you could treat, no, you don't, you know, so on and so forth. Let's the ear, let me have the ears, nose, and throat guy. So he looked, and his eyes got a little wide, and he said, hey, just a minute, Rick, I've got something for you. He goes to the other room, and he comes back with his big, huge <laughs> syringe with his massive needle on it, you know. And he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he kind of doesn't show it to me until he comes up really close. And he opens your mouth, and then he goes, and he puts that thing into the back of my throat and jabs it into an abscess, and he pulls out, you know, maybe 10, 20 cc's of pus. Tw uh, milliliters is the proper. A, a peritonsillar abscess, and it's, it's a lot less common. We don't want to scare folks no. that they need to come in every time that they, you know, have a sore throat. But uh, if it's lasting longer mm -hmm. than it should. Asymmetrical is one of the big things there. And, and a change in the voice. We call what's <coughs> called a hot potato voice, where they're just okay, very kind of breathy like yeah. that. And there is life-threatening danger if it's bilateral, if it's mm -hmm. both sides, because you can close off your airway mm -hmm. and not be able to breathe. And so I've seen that happen as well, although maybe two or three times in my whole career. So my, my take-home message on that one is, I don't know what to do with strep throats. I, I, I'm at this point, after that experience, I started culturing them again. <laughs> well, we need to take another break, and, but this is an interesting subject, and of course I- Well, have we haven't had Jill's opinion on that. <laughs> right, I want to hear oh, Well, let's take the break, and I'll tell yeah, you. Oh. I'll break. come up we'll with be, one. <laughs> we'll be right back. Thank you for listening. Millions of people in the United States are not getting screened for colorectal cancer as recommended. They are missing the chance to prevent colorectal cancer or to find it early when treatment often leads to a cure. 
The vast majority of new cases of colorectal cancer, about 90%, occur in people who are 50 or older. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommends screening beginning at age 50. If you think you may be at increased risk for colorectal cancer, learn your family history and ask your doctor if you should begin screening before age 50. Talk with your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Listening to Prairie Doc Radio, we do have some great questions. Um, several more, but let's maybe we should wrap up our strep discussion fairly quickly here. So that we can move on to these. Any so, comments, Dr. Yeah. Cruz? What do you think? So you know, definitely, strep throat is um, the main reason we treat is to prevent rheumatic fever, which is and that can cause damage to the heart valves. The good news is a lot of the strep that's around these days doesn't cause that. It's a lot uh, weaker strain than. Um, we hear about, you know, back in literature, when you talk about the velveteen rabbit, he had, I think it was scarlet fever or rheumatic fever, and then, they, you know, burned all of his toys, and, you know, the only way to get rid of the scourge of that terrible disease and the kids on the brink of death, and, you know, that's not strep throat today, which is good. Um, but definitely, I think it's, it's reasonable to kind of let those cultures use their guide, but know that there are going to be some people that are colonized, and they'll always have a positive culture, and, you know, if you're always having those and you're getting these frequent infections, you know, I always defer to my ear, nose, and throat specialist to say, is this colonization? Is this something that needs to be treated? So test um, the rest of the family. Test the rest of the family. I, I did have one family that kept getting recurrent strep, and we found out it was from the family dog that was giving it to them. So oh, they got really? the dog treated. How yeah. did you find that out? Um, I don't even know how. They took the dog in because the dog was sick. And, and they treated the dog, and then all of a sudden, the Everybody's whole family better. got better. <laughs> so I, I guess I, the only discussion I have with uh, Rick and the not culturing is in today's world, and whether this is justification <coughs> or not, our parents are, are both working, and they cannot miss work, yeah. which is, is really too bad. And I, I employers that are listening, maybe you could give them a little break. But... If they if that child comes in and we know they have strep, they can get on antibiotics and get back to school, school. or mm -hmm. get back to daycare. Otherwise, we're talking of them being out a week. Well, you have two or three kids, you're you might as well not work because you are they're all going to get it, mm -hmm. and you are going to be out of work. And so right now the dilemma is getting them treated and, and daycare providers. Indicator for daycare treatment. providers are almost demanding. Yes. That yeah, they have a note. I, all I can say is it's a tough area. And it's interesting what Jill just said mm -hmm. about rheumatic fever. It was really a big deal when I started in medicine. You it know, was. It was on the heel of all of that treatment. We used to give people who had had it before antibiotic injections once every week or two. Uh, in You know, I am into the butt. Oof. Oof. And uh, all that's kind of gone. We're, then we moved to oral, and then we stopped it. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, the indication for strep, the treatment of strep is to prevent heart valve disease because it's our immune system mm -hmm. that's causing the problem. That's so interesting. Let's go to the next question. Yes. Um, a caller has asked, what is cellulitis, what causes it, and what is the treatment? The big uh, thing about cellulitis, the classic cellulitis is your lower leg get, doesn't get the vein the edema out of the leg. And with the edema gone, 
uh, or there, you don't drain it uh, naturally, and then an infection sets in, and then it spreads into the tissue. Cellulitis, it's in the cells. Skin, skin cells, yeah. But it's not just skin. It's into the tissue underneath mm-hmm. the skin, too. And uh, the treatment is get the edema out, elevate that, per- that leg, uh, stop walking on it, and uh, we used to hospitalize them, elevate the leg, uh, hanging the leg on, on a, 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 a hoist, so to speak, and uh, get them off of it. And, that, and the surgeon teacher uh, told me that was the treatment that really worked. Now we have antibiotics. They're not mm-hmm. as good. But, but there's, I mean, we just talked about peritonsillar cellulitis. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. So it, it can be anywhere. Yeah. It's not yeah. just lower legs. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it could be. Yeah, so. And, and those with cellulitis, you know, you, you see that big red patch of something. And if it's on a leg or an arm or an extremity, I always outline it with a marker. And if it crosses that line, then we, we've got problems. If it stays in that line and gets smaller, we're making progress. But it, it's really hard to tell, is it getting bigger, is it not? You know, especially if it's kind of a slow creep and a slow change. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the other thing we talk about is like MRSA, um, methicillin-resistant um, staph, staph aureus. Um, and that can be, you know, coming in the community. And those usually start like a little pimple. I tell people, if it was a pimple one day and today it's a giant red angry area of skin, that's probably MRSA. Yeah. Uh, and and that, are those drained? Well, the certainly. biggest thing needs to be drained. Okay, um, a 65-year-old man calls in saying that his, starting this year, uh, or the last couple of months, that he has constant watering of his eyes. And someone told him that it could be from dry eyes. So there's the discrepancy. Right. Watery eyes, mm-hmm. is it dry eye? So explain the dry eye, and do you mm-hmm. think that this gentleman has... He's got dry eyes. Yes. And uh, the tears that he's making are not adequate. They don't have enough oil on the outside to keep it from evaporating. Uh, They're mostly just uh, saline equivalent. It doesn't have the protein that it needs to give nutrition to the eye. And so the the eye's desperately trying to save itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say talk to his eye doctor. There are drops like Restasis that can be used to help um, replenish those dry eyes. Sometimes it can be allergies, too, that can be causing it. So the first step w- would probably call their eye doctor. Call their, call I, their I doctor. would go in, definitely. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I always tell people, when it comes to the eyes, the eye doctor has all the fancy uh, tools and equipment that I don't have, and they know that area better than anyone. So They can put little plugs into the drainage area. So, our, our, you know, the, the tear begins in one area and it moves across the eye and then it's drained the center. That can be plugged so that it doesn't drain. Yep. So their eye doctor... The dry eyes improved. We are out of time, but we do need to mention On Call with the Prairie Doc, our television show that will be on tomorrow night. Rick, you want to tell us about that? That's uh, 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 7 o'clock. Yeah, I can't remember. It's on sexuality. Oh, 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 that's a sexuality show. Yes, it was a a show that we recorded in Rapid City back in the fall um, because we don't have students in the over in the, the break Christmas so time. we can't do live shows so this is a new show that no one has seen but it, it was recorded earlier so it's, we hope you'll tune in oh it's a good show we have a, 
a woman and a man, a urologist and an OBGYN. Uh, and it's a, it's a nice combination about sexuality. We've run way the heck out of time. Sorry, Bob. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Dr. Cruz, for being here. Rick, you want to close us Thank you, out? Jill, and thank you, Joni. And thank you, Bob, and stay healthy out there. Thank you.